Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This is Saturday, the 10th of February. It is our sh- second show for the year. I'm Giselle Hanna and I'm taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Of course, Pierre has vacated the chair for me, which we can only be grateful for. I know you, the listeners, are definitely grateful for the relief of not hearing Pierre's voice on the show this morning. Don't tell him I said it, but he will be uploading the podcast, so he's probably going to hear it anyway. Coming up on today's program, though, we will be speaking with a comrade from the ITF. We're going to be speaking with Katie Hetworth from the International Transport Federation. She's going to be talking about the recent development of ICTSI. That's the port company um, that has now signed a 25-year agreement with the country, with with PNG, uh, to operate its ports there. As listeners will know, ICTSI is a dirty union-busting company. They're responsible for the dispute that erupted on WebDoc here in Melbourne, Victoria, uh, over December. So we'll be learning a little bit more about what ICTSI is doing in PNG. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms. But of course, if you want to email us, you can do that as well. And you just need to write to aawl at aawl.org.au. It is time now for news from around the region. We're going to kick off in South Korea. Trade unionists across the world yesterday demanded the immediate release of KCT, uh, KCTU President Han sung Kyun from prison and the withdrawal of the charges against the former General Secretary of the KCTU, Lee Yong-joo. She, as international attention turned to South Korea with the start of the Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games. Many of you will have seen that. Um, these uh, solidarity demonstrations were conducted right across the world, including in Melbourne and Sydney here in Australia. This week, an appeal court in Seoul, South Korea, controversially freed Samsung Electronics Vice Chairman Lee Jae-yung after barely a year in jail, while justice remains denied for trade union leaders. As listeners will know, Samsung is a dirty union-busting company with an appalling track record on health and safety. Over 100 workers have died in the last 10 years from brain tumours and blood poisoning brought on by the chemicals used in the production of smartphones and other electronics. Hansung Kyun has now been in prison for nearly two years simply for exercising his democratic right to freedom of association and peaceful assembly, while this leader of Samsung Electronics walks free after barely a year in prison for murdering workers. Despite the repeated calls of international trade unions, Han Sung Kyun was not included in the special pardon granted by the Korean president last December. 
Instead, on the 31st of December 2017, the former KCTU General Secretary, Lee Yongju, was arrested in the hospital by the police after a 10-day hunger strike at the headquarters of the ruling Democratic Party to end her self-imposed house arrest. Both Han and Lee have been charged over their role in the People's Rally on the 14th of November 2015. The rally was organised to protest against the former Park Geun-hye government's regressive labour laws reform to further casualise labour, which the new government of President Moon pledged to end. Also, it was these very demonstrations that saw the end of the Park Geun-hye government, which saw the election of President Moon, who is now denying the release of Han and Lee. Lee Yong-ju was dismissed as a teacher in 2016 and the Korean Teachers Union, which was decertified by the Park Geun-hye government, has not been able to have its certification reinstated under Moon Jae-in's government. Lee will be sent for trial between February and March. Meanwhile, the international campaign for the release of all political prisoners in Korea continues. Moving now to Turkey. Earlier this week in Ankara, Turkish anti-terror police raided the house of Ms. Elif Kuhadar. She's the executive committee member of the Turkish trade union federation, KESK. She was arrested during that raid. The charges are related to her having participated in a public panel. Uh, It was a discussion that was organised four years ago. Several other people who were present at the event in Izmir in 2014 were also arrested. Ilif is a member of the ITUC Human and Trade Union Rights Committee. She participated in a meeting in Brussels on the 28th of November to denounce anti-labour policies in Turkey. Five days before this particular raid, Turkish authorities arrested several members of the country's medical association on the grounds that they criticised the Turkish military operations in neighbouring Afrin province in Syria. Those arrested were amongst some 300 detained for speaking out for peace. Warning of a humanitarian crisis, the doctors were denounced by Turkish President Erdogan as terrorist lovers. These two incidents of arresting political dissidents, but more particularly arresting trade unionists, shows the increasing repression in Turkey. The International Federation of Journalists has recently uh, released its annual report. It details 82 journalists and media staff around the world that were murdered in 2017 in the course of their jobs reporting the news. The stories and tragedies in the report reveal that although there's much to welcome in a year when the number of work-related killings of journalists fell to their lowest level in a decade... However, that death toll in journalism remains unacceptably high. In many countries, journalism remains an extremely perilous profession, including Afghanistan, which recorded the highest number of suicide attacks, and Mexico, with a record number of targeted killings. That's 13 journalists were targeted in Mexico, most of them victims of exposing local corruption and the collusion between organised crime and drug trafficking criminals with the local authorities there. The IFJ, the International Federation of Journalists Annual Report, highlights the pressing challenges to journalist security across the globe. They range from opposition to the media as a crucial pillar in democracy in certain parts of Africa to the failure of holding accountable those who kill journalists in some European countries 
to the reign of terror by organised crime in Latin America, terror attacks in the Asia-Pacific and the Middle East and Arab world, and frontline violence in these countries. Moving now to Iran. Last week, we reported on two political prisoners in Iran. We told you that Ismail Abdi, the leader of the teachers' union, was returned to prison on January 20 after a few days of release. Ismail has been a tireless Labor campaigner both in and out of jail. We also reported that the health situation for Reza Shahabi, another imprisoned union activist in the high-security Evan prison, continues to be very serious. Reza's supporters were recently brutally attacked by security forces. Well, on Thursday last week, Reza Shahabi was also released for two days for medical reasons. Shahabi is a member of the executive committee of the trade union of the Tehran and suburbs Vahed bus company. While in prison, even though he's finished his prison sentence, he's still in prison. While in prison, Mr Shahabi has had two strokes. AAWL and our comrades across the globe call for the immediate release of all political prisoners in Iran and elsewhere. In Thailand, a court has started hearing testimony that this commenced on Wednesday in the latest battle between a poultry producer and 14 migrant workers from Myanmar who say they were exploited. Thailand's Labor Department um, has already ordered that this company pay the workers 1.7 million baht, which is about $50,000, in compensation and damages for their claims of overwork and underpayment. But the money has been held up while the company appeals the case. The company, which was a supplier for Thai agribusiness export giant Betagro, is also suing two workers and a labour activist for theft for taking their time cards to document their allegations of labour law violations. That trial, for the, for those two that are being charged with theft, that trial will begin later this month. The dispute is considered significant for two main reasons. Critics have contended that Thailand's criminal defamation law is open to abuse and consider this a good example of how it can be used against whistleblowers. The case has also caused concern in Thailand's huge agribusiness sector, which is a major export earner for the country. This case is being seen as exposing abuse in the supply chain, which could expose the company and even the entire sector to economic sanctions by importing countries. Some in the industry have pushed for settlement outside of court in order to conceal the details of what's happened. So what did happen? What's the abuse that's being claimed? The workers' original complaint, according to the Thai-based Migrant Worker Rights Network, which has been giving them assistance, said that they'd been forced to work up to 20 hours a day without a day off during 40 days or more consecutive work. It also charged that they'd been paid less than the minimum wage, were provided with no overtime compensation and had their freedom of movement restricted and their identity documents confiscated. So the company's alleging that these allegations has caused it damage, which is the basis for its lawsuit, which could see each worker getting up to one and a half years imprisonment and of a fine of about $1,000. 
This is precisely the direction that we're moving to here in Australia and right across the world. It's this tendency for companies to fine or um, pressure workers for merely raising the abuses that they are inflicting on them. So coming after them for that and claiming that they're hard done by or that their business model is being impacted by the revelation of these allegations. It's only through international organising and international union uh, unity that workers will win. Another example that is very similar to this that highlights the point I just made is our last story for the morning, which comes from Kazakhstan. So it's a company called Asalor Mittal, which is a mining company in Kazakhstan. They've filed lawsuits against two unions and a rights organisation in connection with a strike at company mines in Karaganda at the end of 2017. They had uh, previously promised not to prosecute workers for their participation. So what happened? Around 700 workers went on strike underground, underground in the coals, coal mines, not underground, politically underground. They, they took strike action underground in eight coal mines owned by ArcelorMittal in Kazakhstan from the 11th to the 15th of December 2017. They demanded a 100% wage increase, early retirement and better working conditions. ArcelorMittal management agreed to a 30% wage increase for all the underground workers and said they were also ready to negotiate an increase of wages for ground workers. ArcelorMittal stated in a letter to the regional prosecutor that the company would not sanction the strikers. But despite this, the Metallurgic Workers Union in Jaktau yesterday, so Friday, yesterday received a summons to appear in court on the 13th of February. The union is accused of urging miners to continue their strike um, in December 2017 and defend their demands under any circumstances. That's the accusation. The company claims that this destabilised the operation of the mine, prevented the strike from ending and impeded negotiations between the employer and employees and blocked workers from returning to the surface. So basically, the union is being prosecuted for being a union. Those are the trends internationally. That is the news from around the region. It's 14 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. We're going to go to some community announcements and then our interview with Kate Hepworth from the ITF about the situation for ICTSI workers in PNG. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Come to me, lover, I've secrets to tell. Hi, we're Dash. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me sweetly this love. It's 15 minutes past nine o'clock. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. 
In September 2017, it was reported that Philippine port operator International Container Terminal Services, also known as ICTSI, signed a 25-year agreement to operate the port of Ley and Mutakia in Port Moresby. These are the same people that operate WebDoc here in Melbourne, Victoria, where the recent industrial dispute broke out in December 2017, resulting in a community assembly there. ICTSI is a Philippine-based container terminal operator which operates 29 container terminals globally. Growth has been targeted in privatised ports with a focus on emerging markets. The company has a history of moving into countries that are some of the worst in the world to work in, in which workers are routinely exposed to labour rights violations with no guarantee of rights. Joining us now just returned from PNG, is Katie Hepworth from the ITF. Welcome to the program, Katie. Hi, thanks, Annie. Uh, so the first question is, what is ICTSI doing in PNG? Why are they targeting that country and those ports particularly? So ICTSI has just taken over the ports of Leia Moresby. Um, they're looking to operate the ports on a 25-year concession. Based on what we've seen around the world, they're hoping, I think, to kind of make extreme profits off some of the poorest countries in the world by um, cutting wages. Um, they move into places where um, they think that they can get away with breaking unions and undercutting the existing wages and conditions and making huge profits off um, these economies. Well, they're, uh, even they're recruiting Philippine and Indonesian workers to replace the experienced local dock workers there. And I guess that uh, that fact really perplexed me because I would have thought that, in fact, local PNG labour was cheaper and this being the labour model of most capitalists across the world. Why is it that they're importing labour to PNG? So what we've seen is they've already brought in a whole lot of Philippine management into the port of Leh. So they started operations about two weeks ago. Um, the company announced about two months ago um, after an agreement with the landowners that they would keep all the Philippine workforce. But while I was up there in PNG, approximately you know 300 people received notice from the company that they would be fired um, and that there would be no kind of ongoing contracts. A whole lot of dock workers that we met um, were basically told that if they wanted to take a job that they would have to take a demotion um, and that they wouldn't be allowed to operate at a kind of management level. So part of the reason that they want to bring in workers from overseas or workers in from other parts in PNG is that they're trying to break the union. We have 100% density on the docks of both Moresby and Lay at the moment and this is part of the pattern that they do in order to kind of control the ports where they operate and make sure that workers can't fight collectively for the conditions that are already existing on the dock. There's an added layer to this particular dispute because of the way PNG operates, well, because of the historical capitalist development of PNG. Landowners, local landowners, are still a significant part of the country's culture and economy. And this particular operating model is setting aside those local landowner communities that have successfully operated these ports. What can you tell me about that particular impact? So the ports of both Leigh and Moresby were operated by local landowning groups that ran stevedoring companies, and they've run those for decades. Um, and they ran those ports after making significant investments of capital into infrastructure in the port. 
Now, when the government decided to tender for the contract, it decided to only open the tenders up to international operators and made no attempt to compensate the work uh, to compensate the landowners for those investments, or even look at you know their experience of running the port. So at the Port of Lay, the company has come to some agreement with the landowners. However, you know, at this stage, they haven't made an agreement to keep all the workers or follow the union agreement. But the Port of Moresby is still up in dispute about what's going to happen with those landowner groups and whether or not there's going to be a transition over to allow the landowners to still have a stake in the port and a share of the profits. So let's look at ICTSI more particularly because obviously what they're doing in PNG is not unique to their operations right across the world, including here in Australia. And I did in my introduction mention the WebDoc dispute in December. So ICTSI as a company, let's look at its discrimination against unions and members of their unions. What is their general approach to talking, discussing, working with unions? So their general approach is really to shut out the unions. Um, we've been in Madagascar where they've refused to acknowledge um, the union despite the union being registered with the Industrial Registrar and despite it having a majority of members at the port. Um, in Indonesia, it locked out members for seven months when they're in a bargaining um, experience. And in Melbourne itself, um, basically what they've done is put in another union. The MUA hasn't been in there to date um, and when workers have tried to protest against having 40% less wages on web dock than at the neighbouring docks, they've shut out that worker that was the union activist. So really what they try and do is either smash the existing unions and put in their own yellow unions. And of course, I mean, we say unions, unions, and most people hear thuggery, they hear unfair um, power uh, and an inhibition of the capitalist role to basically just conduct business. But of course, unions are there to ensure workers' rights. And one of the most important and central parts of those sets of rights, other than wages and conditions, is the issue of health and safety. Um, and we know that capitalists just don't have the same interest that we do to protect and ensure our health and safety on the job. What is the health and safety record of a company like ICTSI? So the safety record is really poor. What we're seeing is it's a company that doesn't meet global standards and it's well below some of the global standards of other port operators. Um, we heard stories coming back from Madagascar of like cable snapping and like leaving guys in hospital. Of a, In Indonesia really recently, a container was dropped onto a truck and the truck driver was killed. So there are just sort of the company has not been respecting um, the existing international standards and is really trying to speed up operations and get the most out of the workers um, without that respect. Already, the Port of Lay has only serviced two ships. It's been operating over for only a week and we've already had a number of safety breaches that are reported back to us. So guys were forced to work through the rain um, in contravention of the existing industrial agreement. So, you know, PNG is a place in which it rains a lot. And so the guys were really worried about slipping from heights of containers, of having the locks failing and slipping and kind of falling on workers. And yet when the safety officer tried to kind of complain about this, they were overridden. Um, that's something that we've also seen in Melbourne. So the safety officers have complained, um, have pointed out to kind of breaches in the award, um, and they've been told to keep on working. 
I mean, we could talk endlessly about the problems with ICTSI, their operations in PNG, their uh, the impact that they'll have on communal life and on the local communities there. Um, and I'm not trying to say that people already know that. That is a really important part of understanding what is so wrong with what's happening. But another piece of this is how do we fight back? How do we respond to such a massive multinational in a way that's effective and ultimately has workers win? So the ITF is running a big global campaign against the company at the moment. And so the way that we win is that all the unions around the world come together in ICTSI terminals. So just this week, we've seen solidarity messages go from Melbourne and from Pakistan to the workers in lay um, as they got their redundancy notices to tell them to keep fighting and that together as a global organisation we keep fighting. Here in Melbourne, um, the campaign will kick off again because the workers are only getting 40% of what um, workers on neighbouring docks get and there's still major issues with safety. So the community will be called on to kind of come together in support of these workers in the same way that the community supported them before. I I obviously think international solidarity is really, really important. This program is uh, run by an organisation, Australia Asia Worker Links, whose job it is to build those sorts of international links. But I wanted to I wanted to engage with this issue of solidarity for a moment because solidarity messages, while critical and linking workplaces to workplaces, is almost an exercise in morality and boosting people's support um, and boosting people's feeling of that connectedness. What I wonder is how do we translate those solidarity messages to tangible support on the ground? And particularly, I wondered if it would ever be possible for workers to say, our uh, this port is operated by ICTSI, that port is operated by ICTSI. So basically that is one workplace and we need to fight this as though it is one workplace. What would it take to get to that level of consciousness? Well, I think this is what's trying to be built at the moment and I think the solidarity messages are the first step. So for the workers in PNG who have only ever worked with landowner stevedoring companies to actually see that message coming in from the MUA um, meant that they suddenly realised that they were like part of this kind of global campaign. It wasn't them alone against the multinational. And so that they could read that action and kind of gear up. But I think it goes beyond just the port to the whole supply chain. So um, the way that we built that up in Madagascar, for example, is that there were you know, actions against all the companies that, shift, that shipped through the brand. So we had protests at Levi's stores to basically say that brands and any company along the supply chain that uses these ports are responsible for the labour conditions, which means we're not leaving the workers at the ports alone in this, but recognising that we are all part of this as part of global capitalism and that we have a role to play in ensuring that, you know, the the way that goods are moved around the world um, is done fairly and that we support the workers in that way. So I think there are more opportunities than just at the docks for global solidarity um, and that there's a way in which all of us can engage, not just dock workers, in this struggle. That supply chain organising sounds really, really powerful. I'm really very impressive to hear you discuss that. So thank you very much for that. 
there are going to be tons of listeners out there that are really supportive of the plight of the workers in PNG, but also the workers of ICTSI or wherever they're operating. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, the workers in the supply chains that are impacting on those particular industries. If people wanted to get involved or wanted to get in touch with you or uh, send their solidarity messages, how would they go about that? So for the global campaign, if they get onto Facebook and find the page ITS Asia Pacific um, and join that, there'll be updates about the campaign. Um, otherwise, for the PNG campaign, they can go to Justice for PNG Dock Workers on Facebook. Katie, thank you so much for your time on the program this morning. Was there anything you wanted to add to the discussion? No, that's all today. Thank you. That was Katie Hetworth from the ITF, and she was talking about ICTSI's operations in PNG. Um, I'm Giselle Hanna, and you are listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. We're going to go to some community announcements and then back to close out the show. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. Well, in the closing minutes of the show, you have been listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. Thank you for tuning in. A thank you to my special guest today, Katie Hepworth from the ITF. We will be back next Saturday morning with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region, but please stay tuned now for Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.